one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to part two of our four-year anniversary special looking at the building of the space shuttle atlantis exhibit i am sawyer rosenstein again joining us from talking space for part two is once again gene mcculka welcome gene happy anniversary to us sawyer welcome welcome to part two guys and welcome as well mark ratterman it just keeps getting better it does and once again joining us is the company PGAV Destinations, who are the brains behind the Space Shuttle Atlantis exhibit down at the Kennedy Space Center, which opened June 29th, 2013. And joining us from them, we will have them remind you who they are, and then we'll get right back into the questions and a look inside the exhibit. Hi, this is Emily Howard, and I was the project manager for the uh, Space Shuttle Atlantis project. And I basically oversaw the whole team, including um, consultants, and helped keep everybody organized and make sure the project got done. I'm Dave Myers. I'm the uh, project architect on the project. I spent the last two years down at Kennedy Space Center uh, making sure everything went together exactly as we had drawn and uh, designed. Hi, I'm Amanda Yates. I was the lead graphic designer on the project. Um, Basically, I worked on a lot of the interpretives and made sure everything looked good and told a good story. Hi, I'm Doug Nickrent. I was the lead exhibit designer on the project, and uh, my job was to make sure that the, the interpretive program and the physical aspects of the interpretive program and, and much of the media all came together the way we wanted it to. All right, so continuing where we left off, before we even go into the stuff that's inside the exhibit, we have to get into the Atlantis exhibit. How did you come up with the reveal for the space shuttle? I guess I'll start. I'm sure a lot of us will speak about this because that was a, a pretty big design element for us. Um, and again, it started with the storyline like we talked about before. The building was designed from the inside out. So we started with that story and one of the, um, the big things was telling the story of the shuttle program's history but then also telling the story of uh, what all of the shuttles did. So there's actually two theaters there, as you guys probably know, and the first one really gives you that historical background. So it kind of builds you up for that, man, how did this even happen? And and um, shows you the, the genesis of the program, essentially. And then as you go into the second theater, it, again, gets you into a, a mood of, you'll, you'll notice there are practically no words. The only words are really at the very, very end. And it's a lot of images talking about uh, the orbiters themselves, the shuttle, you see the launch, you feel the rumble in your chest. Um, so it's a, a really emotional piece. And the whole idea was, um, and that actually I think came up pretty early in the design process, that 
as you, it's almost a, a play that you don't know in the reveal if it's real or not. The idea was to end with the shuttle itself in that position on the screen, and then as the, the screen pulls up beyond, you see the real thing. And I think it does stun people still. They don't know if it's real or not, because a lot of them kind of stand back and they think, should I move forward? Is that really it, or is this still the screen? And it's, it's interesting to see their reaction to it. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very calculated move in order to build that anticipation and make her the star of the show. I think the, the genesis of it was we, as we got into the story and did the research and began to understand it, it, it became clear to us that people needed some perspective to really appreciate what they were about to see. And that not everybody comes to uh, an attraction like that with that perspective. So we wanted to give people some ground to stand on when they stand in front of that amazing vehicle and they give have some sense of how truly amazing it is. We also tried to think, this is Emily again, a little bit about future in that um, a lot of the younger kids, I guess, really won't have known this, the shuttle program at all. And they'll see the shuttle and think, okay, well, yeah, that's great, but it isn't something that they, they can connect with readily. So it was also a way to kind of give them that background and bring them into how great this machine is. And by the time their teens or you know into their 20s will be doing something else. And it, it really talks about the building blocks of the future of the space program. Well, uh, one of the things that our, our company does really well is understand what um, how guests react to attractions. And what we didn't want was a, a big building where the guest has the opportunity just to walk in and say, check, seen the shuttle, and walk out. Uh, like Doug said, we, we want to give them some perspective. We want to tell them how important it is before they see it so that, that they can uh, take as much away from seeing that thing uh, as possible. And we do this a lot on many of our projects, uh, the Grand Canyon, um, Niagara Falls, we try to get these people in a in a mood that they're ready to receive really awesome information and walk out of there even more elated than just walking in and saying, check, seen it, gone. And uh, what Emily was touching on was how this reveal, uh, very early on, going back to the RPM maneuver, we all said, this is what we want it to be. And um, really, it was left to Doug and I to <laughs> figure out how it was going to be that way. And we built many, many, many three-dimensional models to get the right view for all of our guests in that main theater. And uh, iteration after iteration, nose high, nose low, uh, 43 degree angle, 45, 60, 35, 27 degrees. We tried all of these different angles. And what we realized was, one, we have to actually make the space shuttle uh, available to its best view for everyone. So you might notice that the nose is to the left of the theater. And the reason why we did that was because if it had been centered on the, on the middle of the theater, the people on the left side of the theater would be getting just the tile view and not that great cockpit view of the arc of the sunrise in the background. 
we spent a lot of time with that and then working with our lighting designers we came up with a really really old solution and that's a scrim and um, the way a scrim works in any theatrical play is if you have light on the front of the scrim where the audience is sitting you can't see through it but as soon as you take that light down and you bring up light behind the scrim you can see right through it it's it's like it's not even there and so all all we essentially did was make that accessible to our guests in that we have two doors we have a inner door that's a gigantic um, scrim that's projected on and we have an outer door that just keeps the sound from blowing out into the space and at a at the perfect moment we fly out these doors and uh, or the outer door and do our lighting effect on the scrim and to I wouldn't say to our surprise but to our uh, gratification <laughs> and to our credit it works um, a lot of people don't notice the door the outer door fly out and a lot of people still think that that space shuttle that they see on that screen that they've been watching for six and a half minutes is just a projection and when when we bring up that light inside or outside the theater and take, take down the light in the theater there she is she's she's coming around the, the curvature earth and the sun's rising and she's in her full glory that is absolutely brilliant because I, I have to admit the first time i saw it I, I saw now three or four times of going through that uh entryway and I still get goosebumps every single time, but the first time I was not sure if that was an image or the real thing. It really came across that way. Good. <laughs> That's supposed and, to. It worked. What, what's really What's really interesting, I, I think, only to to our lighting designers credit, FMS, uh, they were the only ones that really, really knew what was going to happen. I mean, I'd like to say that all of us knew, but the blue glow was something that. I wasn't expecting, and I, I've been through this uh, building inside and out for months and months, and seeing that uh, space shuttle bathed in blue was something I wasn't expecting, but really doesn't allow your mind to make the connection between the real thing and a projection. And uh, one of the reasons why we chose blue is, in, in the theatrical world, blue equals black. And we couldn't take down all of the the house lights, or I should say the, the theater lights, because we had guests milling around in those spaces looking at all the exhibits. So the only thing we could do is go to blue and bring her up in a sunrise from blue to, to dawn. I think it's incredible because being in the theater and the, when the reveal happens, my thought was shuttle in flight. <laughs> it, it didn't register that I was seeing payload bay door open and arm extended, those things. I saw a shuttle in flight, just like the movie brought you to that point. And yet when you're outside on the floor and you're looking at Atlantis up close, you're seeing a working shuttle. And when you go below, when you look at it underneath, you're thinking about re-entry of the shuttle flying back down to, to land. So you've somehow, you've accomplished so many different dimensions with a static display 
that that actually was the intent of our designing it from the inside out. Upstairs was all about being in space, uh, really telling the the space story. And then I don't know if you guys uh, took the slide to the ground floor, but that was all about re-entering the atmosphere, telling that that story that is just as harrowing as launch. And uh, when once you get to the ground, we tell the processing story. We're trying to tell the three main goals that we set forward, which was it's a rocket, it's a spaceship, and it's a glider. And we did that through our, our original planning and through lighting. Uh, downstairs, I don't know if you noticed, but it's a little brighter. Uh, upstairs, we're trying to keep it more subdued, darker. It's in space. And then our, our fun little slide um, has, has its own elements of speed and landing, uh, just like the real thing. Which I absolutely have to ask. What was the idea behind the slide? It's phenomenal. <laughs> That's Doug McGrain. You talk <laughs> we, uh, we had heard for so long about the steep glide angle of a space shuttle and how it's different from landing in an, in an airliner, and it's, it's evidently remarkably exhilarating to land that thing at that angle. And we wanted to, to give people a sense of what that felt like. So we, we developed this notion of, um, until we get sued, I guess, and then, it's, <laughs> then I did it right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this notion that we would take you on a landing, and we'd put you at the top of the slide and take you down at the 23-degree glide angle and, and let you, you know, get that feeling of that you know, your stomach coming up into your throat and and the exhilaration of what that must feel like to land a real shuttle. And the best way we could think of to do that was to put you on a slide and land you. And also I think something slide does that's really great is to really help explain to kids, um, yeah, sure, it's a fun thing for kids to do. Like, they're going down a slide, but um, I noticed when we were there visiting, there were adults, parents pointing to their kids saying, oh, yeah, you know what that's about? That's going down. That's landing. You're landing the shuttle. You're the shuttle right now. And um, going up to the slide, there's some um, curved walls that simulate the S-turns the shuttle has to do in order to slow down enough to re-enter. Um, and kids get those right away. Like, they, they see those curved walls and those ramps, and they just zoom back and forth. And I think that is it's really exciting as, you know, being a part of the design team to see that and see kids get it and uh, really, really uh, love it and be involved in it. Yeah, it's for the kids and the kids at heart, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> so, Sawyer, did you ride the slide? I have to know. Did you go down? Uh, Mark and I both did not. <laughs> oh, so disappointing. We, we went out. <laughs> so we can all go back. <laughs> oh, I think that's a guarantee. <laughs> Mark, you and I can try it next time. We'll go tandem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I, I can see. Yeah, it's true. Pilot commander. Take turns. <laughs> you got it. Uh, so one thing that's really impressive, along with the slide, is just like that, how interactive everything is. And how did you come up with the idea of what was written text and what was interactive hands-on, because it does a great job of that. We try to make as much interactive as we possibly can. And anything, you know, you're seeing just the ideas that survived of ways <laughs> to make things interactive. Um, 
we, we go through a really long process of brainstorming and drawing and redrawing and re-brainstorming to get things to a point where they can be as interactive as possible and on point and functional and safe, relatively safe. Um, all those things have to come to play. It's a, it's a really long, arduous process, but we're, we're always looking for the way to make it physical, to uh, make, let you role play, let you do pretend play, let you try your hand at a task. Um, everything we can do to, to make it interactive, that's where we start. The, the text and the things that fill in kind of come a little bit later as we tell the story. Uh, we, we really push the interactivity. Yeah, and we know um, we've done a lot of research regarding, uh, again, guest uh, experience and the way people read panels and more specifically don't read panels. Um, and we kind of have an idea of how long someone's going to spend in a space reading something, learning the story. And it's so much more effective to be able to not tell someone the story, but have them really feel it and experience it and do it. Um, so. Like Doug said, that's what we always try to strive for. Right, and not to brag, but I did get a perfect score on the landing simulator, so I approve of it. <laughs> that was hard. <laughs> sure. Talking with the space station, that's what I wanted. Uh, docking went eventually. <laughs> hey, Sawyer, speak for yourself on that landing simulator. <laughs> I didn't quite make it. <laughs> That's okay. We won't even get into the remote manipulator system with the robotic arm. That was my downfall. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. <laughs> but on top of all of that, you just have so many other artifacts. Can you explain some of the artifacts and how you managed to get them? <laughs> well, most of those, of course, come from NASA and, and their collection. Um, some came from Atlantis, and some they have in archives, and we brought them out of archives. Uh, for instance, the, the pumpkin suit uh, that sort of sits behind the, the cockpit replica is built from archive pieces, and then a few pieces that, that were fabricated to, to look right so that we could set up that little environment of what that pumpkin suit is about, where you wear it, um, and make that little vignette of the mid-deck where you, where you sit. Uh, so, yeah, the, the collection really comes from NASA. And actually what what's, was interesting about the project was we, we were getting things out of Atlantis uh, late in the, in the game, and the pumpkin suit particularly, the chair that, that the mannequin and the suit is sitting on is an actual chair out of Atlantis from STS-135. And that was a late player in the game. We had another chair lined up. It, I'm told it, we had the old version of the chair, which I, I've seen. It's much heavier. And so when the, when the time came and they said, well, do you want to use the Atlantis chair? We all said, yes. Uh, and that goes with the toolbox, too. Um, there's a set of EVA tools that we have on display, and there was a different set that was in the NASA archive, and uh, when the toolboxes came over, we are all like a bunch of school kids. Uh, we all got to go see it. So we, we go open the crate, and there's the toolbox, and, and then the first question is, 
do you want to use this instead? And the answer overwhelmingly is yes. <laughs> Whatever it takes to figure this out. Yeah, it, it was getting the artifacts has been an odd sort of thing. They they can show up at the most inopportune times, and you think, boy, if I just known that was available a little a little yeah. before. But we we tried to do as much as we could and adapt and uh, and use as much as we could. My sense is that there's probably more to come in that regard as as things are released and and they get more stuff. Yeah, there's a little tube cutter that's on display up in the upper gallery that originally was intended to be a saw that's on display at the uh, Astronaut Hall of Fame. And this tube cutter came out of nowhere, and they said, well, this is actually what flew that saw was a prototype, and they never flew it on the space shuttle. And so everyone had this long discussion of what we put on display, and it all made sense that the tube cutter was the right thing to do, and I, I believe that came from also STS-135. You know, we we have a lot of odd conversations in this business, as you might imagine, but you get a phone call from somebody from NASA, and they're asking you whether you want the explosive bolts or not, <laughs> and you, 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 you have that conversation, and you stop, and you think, I just talked to somebody about explosive <laughs> bolts for two hours and whether or not we want them in our exhibit. <laughs> what am I doing for a living? Actually, the, the most amazing artifact uh, in my mind and what came the fastest was the uh, Max Faget model. Uh, we had been designing the uh, batching show with Mousetrap and um, Mousetrap had found this story about Max Faget and this uh, his, this model that he had built, and he, he brought all these people into a room and flew it over their heads, and you know everyone, of course, was rolling their eyes and thinking he was crazy. And it's a true story. And so when uh, a group of uh, our team went to Houston for other purposes, for other purposes, they started telling the story to the people down there that we were gonna we were intending to to do this as our our show before the show. And I forget how it all came together, but uh, Max Faget's daughter is, I believe, married to an astronaut. Uh, I, I don't know that for sure, but someone said they knew Nanette Faget, and uh, they said, do you want to meet her? And, of course, the group said yes. They told her the story, and she said, well, I had the model. Do you want it? And, uh, yeah, and, yeah <laughs> yes. so, uh, we got the, we got the model two days before grand opening. That, that model was installed the day before the grand opening. And we had to, we had to quickly run and get a display case. And we, we made this happen in just uh, a few weeks time. And, uh, like Doug said, that, that model was displayed the day before opening. And Miss Faget shows up with a shoebox and says, could you use this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we could. Thank you. Wow. Because, <laughs> uh, I mean, on top of that, you have the Astrovan, you have the Beanie Cap, which is an interactive exhibit. And one thing that I think is really impressive is that you have one of the tires from STS-135 just 
sitting out there so people can feel it, people can run their hands across it, see where it's scraped on the ground. How did you decide that one specifically, what to do with it? We had always wanted to do a landing gear uh, as part of this, and uh, the landing gear never quite materialized, but in one of those odd conversations, somebody said, well, we can't get you landing gear, but would you like the tires from STS-135? And, of course, we said, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then uh, I have to credit our, our friends at Delaware North. They were all over the fact that, you know what, let people touch it, let people spin it, let people feel what it feels like, because they, they understood the importance of that. And I think that was really them who, who gave us the permission to say, yeah, you can you can touch that artifact, you can play with that artifact. And that's that's a really neat piece in there because it's so simple and so interactive and so you know you can always go home and say you touched a part of the space shuttle the the nasa team as well had, had been very adamant from the very beginning that they're not a museum and so giving people the opportunity to get up close and possibly touch things was important and the tire seeing that there were more than two tires available from STS-135, they were willing to to let to be in the exhibit for people to touch and see that, you know, this is just one landing and it burnt through the, the rubber. This thing's hauling some major, you know what. <laughs> <laughs> it's got some smack. Yeah. <laughs> when you mentioned the, the last-minute edition from Max Faget from that connection, do you think there'll be things that'll come along as as time goes on, time goes forward, that'll be added to what's in the Atlantis complex? Yes, we, no doubt. we we know of a few things, and we're not going to spoil what, what's coming. But uh, there are things that were in Atlantis that will be included in uh, in the future. And there's this whole uh, dispensation of shuttle program hardware that's an ongoing process with NASA and things keep popping up every once in a while and we'll still get a phone call or an email saying what do you think of this so I it's not the end is not in sight in that regard which is a good thing yeah it's a good thing there's a facilities or the possibility in the building we build extra infrastructure to accept those things as well so Right, because, I mean, you have a huge space there, 90,000 square feet, I believe. So uh, I, I can't wait to see what other items you get. They could be pretty big, couldn't they? <laughs> Is that any spoilers or future hints? <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> um, one thing that I find is interesting is about the people. And the people play a big part in this exhibit, and you made that known throughout with lots of quotes from not just astronauts, but people who worked on the shuttle. How did you go about doing that, and what was the idea behind that? Uh, we did a lot of research. We um, started with a big stack of books um, that was kind of overwhelming and combed through them and pulled out the most inspirational uh, quotes we could find, especially for that entry walk before you get to the first uh, pre-show. Um, we really wanted to get people jazzed up um, and get them ready to to start to hear that story. Um, and so a lot of it was research. A lot of it was um, pulled from interviews that we had conducted with technicians and with people who knew uh, Shuttle Atlantis the best. It is absolutely amazing walking around with them. They will point out 
every little thing about that space shuttle. And every time I walk with them, there's a new fact that is not written on any book and really no way to describe that. And, and this goes to telling the story is what do, what do we tell? You know, there's so many cool things about this thing. How, how do we, how do we tell the story of the space shuttle without making it not interesting to 75% of our guests? And, um, I think Doug and uh, Amanda here did a, an awesome job of parsing through all of that information. Yeah, please tell me that that, that data that you collected from all those shuttle technicians is, is somewhere and, you know, written down or recorded or, or wherever, somewhere, and that, uh, you know, it, it's safe for posterity. So then maybe that, uh, you know, somewhere sometime along the line, somebody might want to go ahead and, and figure out, you know, really what were the characteristics of this one, this machine as compared to her sisters. So, uh, again, bravo, guys. Great work. And that's something, too. A lot of um, the content that um, is on the graphic panels in Space Shuttle Atlantis um, came directly from interviews with technicians and astronauts and people who knew the most about Atlantis. So, you know, we just asked a lot of questions and hope that we got the right answers, I guess. And it was really all about uh, which ones worked best because we had so many. We had pages and pages of these really great quotes about how Atlantis flew and how the spatial program was this great thing to be a part of. Um, and it was a really hard process to call down from, from that list, I think. Yeah, it was, it was neat to meet people who you just never expected to meet. I mean, the w women who sewed the blankets, they did custom hand sewing for extra difficult places to put a blanket and they would sew those by hand and they, they came and talked to us. Uh, we met people from the closeout crew in the white room. We met, you know, talked to the captain of one of the uh, ships that goes out and retrieves the uh, uh, SRBs. Just all these people, and you got the sense of so many facets of the program, and every one of them, one was more passionate than the next about having spent their career or part of their career working on the space program. It was really an incredible experience. And as Amanda said, we had we had more than we could possibly use. The, the challenge was coming down the boats to the ones that were, were on point for us. It wasn't a matter of uh, struggling to find them. Right. And then some that weren't appropriate in some places were better in others. Um, and that was such a fascinating process just to hear all the different stories and get to know like uh, the different teams of technicians that worked on the shuttles had like nicknames for themselves and they even had t-shirts made and so we put that in the exhibit somewhere because um, we just think that that's just a small representation of the dedication that these people had. One of the things you'll notice in the exhibit is that it's not astronaut centric. There are a few astronauts there but one of the things we came to early and actually astronauts told us to do was to not make this about the space shuttle and its astronauts, but made it, make it about the space shuttle and the people who made it fly. So there's a lot more about the technicians and the engineers and the people behind the scenes than really there are about the astronauts. And that was that came straight from the astronauts to, to do it that way. So one thing I have to say on top of doing a great job of that is 
if you're telling the story of the space shuttle, you have to include Challenger and Columbia. And there's a nice memorial wall to those crews. How did you approach such a difficult topic and incorporate it into what's supposed to be a happy, joyous, celebratory exhibit? It's it's very sensitive. Um, you know, we, we certainly had to do it. Um, we tried to keep it simple, um, and we tried to keep it about the astronauts who were lost and the vehicles, and we tried not to overdo it, but tried to hit the right note. Um, it comes up in other places in the in the big interactive timeline about the program. Uh, it comes up there and is handled in what we hope is a sensitive way. So yeah, it's it was it was difficult. There were a lot of iterations of that. There were a lot of people who looked at it to make sure that we were hitting the right note, you know, and it was just. Um, not an easy thing to do. It really wasn't. And we hope we hit the right note. I have a question related to actually seeing the entire Atlantis complex. I've asked a few different people this, and it varies their response as to how long you would want to have set aside to see it. it kind of varies from people that tend to zoom through things to people that really stop and absorb it. But if you had somebody that was going to travel to the visitor complex and, you know, they wanted to see Atlantis and they knew that there was a lot more, how much time do you, would you say to, to allow? Are you a space geek or not? <laughs> That's the first question we would ask. Let's, uh, let's take it from a space geek's perspective because I think a lot of our listeners would have a high level of interest in, in a lot of things. That's really an interesting question because boy did we do a lot of work on that we we spent a lot of time considering all of our guests and we actually created a little matrix about what we call dwell time and we analyzed each exhibit uh, how long each person might might or might not spend at that exhibit and uh, we came up with actually different scenarios where uh, some people that have interests, some people that are just passerbys, some people that are space geeks. So a space geek, in our mind, was somewhere between three and four hours that could spend inside of there. And we had the people that had a, a very little passing interest in it, which could be as little as an hour and 15 minutes. Um we tried to tailor our entire exhibit for that range, and it's not very easy, but what's, I think, successful about the whole place is that we developed enough for people that go more than once in a lifetime to go back again and again and find new information, to find something new, to find something exciting. That's why we have those large uh, timeline walls, the the both that are interactive, so the one about the space station, one about the space shuttle program, <clears throat> you can really dig in there. So uh, a space geek could spend an afternoon digging through that information, watching the videos, um, combing through all of the, the different astronauts, where they were born, uh, you name it. There's, 
there is a lot in there. And especially with the interactive um, timeline, especially with ISS, it has the capability to be constantly updated, and we think that was a major component in designing it, and uh, that's part of the reason you would want to come back and see it is because you can get all these like live statistics um, that are being updated constantly about people living in space. You know, as we, as we designed the experience, we had to keep the entire uh, visitor center and the, the entire experience in mind. And one of our fears, one of the reasons we did the, the dwell time studies was we, we wanted to give people the opportunity to have a great experience and still be able to do all the other things that the visitor complex has to offer, the, the tour of the space center and the other things that are there. So we, we really wanted to give a top line very rewarding experience that allowed you to do other things and then also have that depth that, that Dave was talking about. So you could have repeat visitation or if you really came to see that you would get a full, you know, afternoon of, of value out of that, out of that visit. I'd like to pass on a comment that I remember hearing on June 29th, the day that Atlantis opened to the public. There was a woman that had just come out of the theater, seen the reveal, and was midway along the shuttle, you know, looking at the open payload bay. And she had a young boy with her, and she said, uh, my son has a question, is it real? Hmm. And I said, yes, absolutely, every bit of this is real. Have you heard things like that? Every day, every day we were down there, we could, we heard guests ask that question. And from the, from the very first day that we allowed guests to walk through the building, uh, that was the biggest question on everyone's mind is, is this really real? And just like us, it's a, it's a complete surprise. On TV, you think it's a white, shiny object, smooth, uh, pristine, and that is not what it is. That is true. There's a lot of little details that really come through. Hi, folks. It's Gene uh, again. Uh, real fast. First off, um, I, I promise you I'm going to hit that slide when I get over there in November, and we're definitely going to go ahead and try to see if I can outdo uh, some of my compatriots here on some of the interactives. Uh, real Two questions here for you. First, what was your favorite moment in this whole project? That you know you wanted to go ahead and and sort of chisel that in your brain and and just kind of remember that moment for uh, for your you know for your kids and grandkids say and the other I guess my other question is the flip side of that coin what was the moment where you said uh oh you know what the, the biggest surprise out of this thing either pleasant or unpleasant <laughs> you don't get the answer well I know. My favorite moment was, so maybe I'll go first. I, I had the opportunity as part of the media development to go with media crews for the rollout of Atlantis. So I got to go on the launch pad with a real life space shuttle getting ready to launch on, uh, on the morning after the rollout. Uh, I'll, I'll never top that. That was my favorite moment of the project. <laughs> That's too cool. <laughs> it was, it was a phenomenal experience. I feel like I have a lot, but one that happened just recently was um, PGAV all went down for the weekend to see uh, to see Space Shuttle Atlantis, and that was a really big trip for us. And so this was two weekends ago, and um, we had the fantastic opportunity to meet with Chris Ferguson, and um, he kind of 
flip through a slideshow of some really great images and um, told some great stories about space. And um, I had gone up to him to talk to him afterwards and told him that I saw uh, the launch of SDS-135 and, you know, it was really exciting for me. Um, and, the, you know, he just had some really positive things to say about the exhibit, which I thought was great. And he also happened to be wearing the polo with the uh, Spatial Atlantis logo that I helped design on his shirt. So I felt pretty good about that. <laughs> That's sweet. Um, this is Dave. Actually, my favorite moments um, is when my family could go up and see the space shuttle. Uh, we were there uh, for two years. So... When that thing came in the building, I I would in the evenings uh, don't tell anyone, but I would <laughs> I would bring my my family into the building and uh, having my my little boy there, my wife and and little girl, uh, they my little boy thinks I own the space shuttle and I'm not telling them any different. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll tell you an oops one later, but uh, go ahead, Emma. <laughs> Um, I don't know that I can narrow down to one favorite moment, but I can probably get it to two. One is uh, my boss and I got to actually go into Space Shuttle Atlantis before the STS-135 launch. And so we had bunny suits on and went through the whole process, and I got to sit in the commander seat, and that was pretty amazing. That was really cool. Um, the second is just seeing people's reaction. I think... One of the best parts of, of my job for me is creating something and then seeing how people react to it. And so that just pulls at my heartstrings. I just I love that. And that is so rewarding for me. Uh, I, I'll touch on the oops. Uh, <laughs> there, I, I'm not going to say there were many, but there was one where uh, our drawings had left the cleaning system that cleans the <laughs> payload bay to what they call uh, to be figured out in the field. And I quickly found out that my name was in the field. And, and um, as I was figuring it out, I was working with the company that, that built it. And as as I was laying out the, the catwalk up there to make it all line up, um, I was sure that we had it all, all lined up, that it could drop into the payload bay. And we had released the the steel for the catwalk because I was so sure that we had it right. And as I was looking at the some pictures, we were doing a WebEx with the company that, that built it. Their name's Probel. And I'm looking at my pictures that I took in the the OPF of the payload bay and realized as I was looking at the pictures talking to them that there was an arm on the right side of the vehicle that I didn't account for. And I, I knew it was the OBSS, but as I was looking at the pictures, it was rotated in toward the payload bay. And I got white in the face. You know, you get that really warm, like, oh, no. And so I said a few words uh, that probably weren't appropriate at the time, and everyone's like, "What? What's going on?" And I'm like, "We need to end the meeting now. I'll, I'll I'll talk to you guys later." So I I luckily had been given a handbook of all of the space shuttle drawings, and for the next day, I combed through all those drawings to find 
the details on the payload bay uh, arms and found that they actually rotate out when the door opens. And they call it the deployed position, which actually isn't, you know, flying in the air, but it actually rotates out of the door open or after the door opens. So I got on the phone with uh, the USA guys and uh, quickly we found out that we could, in fact, rotate that arm out of the way. And as I was drawing in, in CAD, I realized that, uh, yes, that arm would have been in the way, and moving it out of the way gave us an extra eight inches um, of clearance so that this thing could go down in the payload bay. So that was my, my oops and uh, resolve afterwards that we did, in fact, get it right. And uh, we just had to move the OBSS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and folks, uh, this uh, really appreciate the time. This this was just absolutely fabulous. Learned a lot today, and really can't wait to uh, see the uh, fruit cereal waivers in November. Thanks. Well, have fun while you're down there. <laughs> <laughs> now we're not going to let you guys get off completely that easy yet. We have one final question that we ask all of our guests, and we call it the most difficult question of them all. Are you prepared? Sure. If people want to find out more about the exhibit and more about PGAV, where can they go? <laughs> if they want to find out more about the exhibit, you can go to kennyspacecenter.com. Um, if you want to find out more about us and the particulars of the design on this exhibit, you can go to pgavdestinations.com. And they can also find out more about the other projects that you guys have done and are working on, correct? Absolutely, it's all on there. Great. Well, I think from all of us here at Talking Space, uh, you guys did an absolutely phenomenal job having been there for the opening of it, and it was an honor to talk to each and every one of you, and thank you for your work on the exhibit. Thanks so much. This was a blast. <laughs> Glad to have you on. Emily, Dave, Doug, Amanda, thank you so much for being on Talking Space. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having you. us. Once again, a huge thank you to Emily Howard, Dave Myers, Doug Nickrent, and Amanda Yates for coming on and talking with us of PGAV Destinations. Thank you, guys. And thank you as well for joining us, Gene McCulka. Yeah, and also, since this is, again, our, our anniversary program, I want to thank everybody first, you out there, for listening, because without you guys, we wouldn't be able to do all this. It's for you that we keep on doing this, doing this. so thanks very much. Also want to thank the folks that have been uh, extraordinarily supportive in this endeavor, including uh, Astronomy FM. They have been incredible in supporting us on, on this. So, again, keep your uh, your web browser right where it is if you're listening to us uh, live on uh, on Astronomy FM, or if uh, you're listening to us uh, on uh, on podcast. Go ahead and pull them up. That's Astronomy.fm. But and anybody else that's gone ahead and support. Of this. If I, I'm missing, I know I'm missing a whole bundle of people, but um, uh, please, it's, it's not uh, due to uh, any type of deliberate oversight. You guys are great, all of you. Thanks. Yes, indeed. And we also need to give a thank you to Todd Cecilio and Russ Dale, who did our intro music and have helped out with that. And in case you are unaware, as we mentioned in part one, this is our four year anniversary show on September 9th, 2009. The first episode of Talking Space hit the internet, so four years, unbelievable. Thank you as well for joining us for this episode and for the last four years, Mark Ratterman.
to hear me say that it's good to be here, that's certainly an understatement today. This has been a real privilege. I'm so thankful to have the people from the PGAV destinations.com organization join us. This has been really special. Thank you all. Yes, indeed. Thank you, everyone, for listening to these past two weeks of special episodes. And, of course, we have to thank you, the listener, for if it wasn't for you, we would have no show. We would be talking to ourselves, which we do every week anyway, but it's glad to know that people listen to us. Uh, so thank you for listening to us, whether you've been with us a week and this is your first episode, whether you've been with us a year or with us the whole four years. We thank you for tuning us onto your device, and we hope that you'll stick with us over these next couple years or however long we manage to stay in so thank you for all of your support over this time and again thank you to everybody who's helped us out over these last four years and we hope you'll join us because we've got another great year of shows ahead of us and we'll get those started next time until then as always have a great day night evening or whatever it may be where you are (laughs) 